0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Rodney Stark, who is a distinguished professor of the social sciences and co-director of the Institute for Studies of Religion at Baylor University and honorary professor of sociology at Peking University in Beijing. He's the author or co-author of a number of books in 17 different languages, including the best-selling The Rise of Christianity. With Dr. Rodney Stark, we go inside the pages of Bearing False Witness, Debunking Centuries of Anti-Catholic History, published by Templeton Press. Dr. Stark, thank you so much for joining me.
1: I'm delighted to be with you.
0: I have to tell you, I love Bearing False Witness, debunking centuries of anti-Catholic history. I think only because I'm such a huge fan of your other books, it seems as though you've used this one to pull so many, uh, I don't want to say loose ends, but other ends together.
1: Well, you know, it, it came about from writing other books. That's The the, the, the thing is, that it's it's all really an accident. As I was doing books on medieval Christianity or the rise of Christianity or this, that, and the other thing, I kept bumping into these big, dreadful myths. Sometimes I didn't know there were myths when I first encountered them, but when I checked them out with contemporary historians, I found that the historians have completely debunked them and rejected them. And so I would stop and take a eight or ten pages or whatever it took to, to dispel the thing and then go on. And after a few years, I'd done this so often, that I decided, you know, this is ridiculous. And, and these, these, these myths are still out here because somehow the, the, the wonderful historical work rejecting them never gets read by anybody but historians. So I'll be a reporter, and I'll just write them up as best I can and, and bring out a book, and that's how it happened.
0: Well, it's interesting, you know. It was I think it was Cicero that said that if you don't know your history, you're destined to remain a child forever. But if all you know is bad history, then what does that make you?
1: Yes, yeah. You know, I mean, and, and and you know, the interesting thing is that uh, a lot of good Catholics believe some of these uh, these myths. Why not? They were in their textbooks. You know, I mean, uh, um, it's it's just it's just a real. Th- it's really sad that any of these things are still around,
0: Doctor Stark. You're not necessarily coming from a particular historical perspective as much as your study of the social sciences. And well, oh,
1: that's that's true. Yeah.
0: And your your discoveries on the false, can we say, reporting of events, even back dating back over a thousand years. I mean, it's been incredible, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, if you're trying to write about the rise of Western civilization, you can't do it and not confront the Dark Ages. And here, you know, we were told uh, as as children that the church, you know, Rome fell and the church suppressed all intellectual life and all thought, and the world lived in darkness and complete ignorance for a thousand years. And it's all a lie. That was one of the great periods of progress in, in Western history. The church was was the leader in this progress rather than the great dampener. Uh, and you, you can't write the book about the rise of the West and not dispel this. As a matter of fact, some historians are so angry about this, it's amazing to read them. I mean, it really infuriates them. And even if you look in the, in the very recent brand new encyclopedias, they all say that the Dark Ages didn't happen. But still, all you have to do is pick up the newspaper and see people referring to the Dark Ages all around.
0: It doesn't help when you have political leaders, in particular a president of a country, proclaiming the the, the horrors of the Inquisition or the Crusades, and, yeah. it, it, and then that just perpetuates it. because the, yes. and, and essentially that was part of their formation. They really believed that these things are true. They haven't revisited the subjects.
1: Yeah, that's the, well, that's that's the release. I mean, you know, modern historians have even given a name for this. It's called the dark legend, mm-hmm. and that it all started in the in the religious wars, uh, you know, stemming from the Reformation. And in some ways, you know, it's 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 not so surprising that the English and the Dutch made up nasty stories about the Spanish when they were busy fighting them for a century. Uh, but that was a long time ago, and somehow we couldn't we didn't get over it. And, of course, the British stayed pretty anti-Catholic uh, pretty long. Remember, you couldn't be admitted to Oxford and Cambridge if you were a Catholic, not until 1871. So that was pretty late. Um, anyway, our history derives, of course, from, from the English. I mean, our historians were were trained by people who were trained by them, and so a lot of this persisted but there's no reason at all for it to continue and for the president to go to the national prayer breakfast and display his ignorance as well as long as as well as his arrogance by saying you know we shouldn't get on our high horse because christians have been pretty bad too you know we did the crusades that was ignorant it was also um, it was antagonistic the fact of the matter is by the way in this whole business This was motivated to show that we shouldn't be down on Muslims, you see. Mm -hmm. Well, of course we shouldn't be, but he's making it much worse because he won't use the word radical Muslim in connection with terrorism. But the fact is, by not doing that, we all know that Muslims are involved in these things. So most people are left to believe it's just Muslims instead of radical Muslims. But the fact of the matter is, most Muslims are not blowing up. Mm -hmm. Most people killed by Muslim terrorists, the overwhelming majority are Muslims. I mean, that's who's getting attacked. The Crusades were not a great blot on our history. They were a very defensive action.
0: We're talking with Dr. Rodney Stark about his book calling Bearing False Witness, Debunking Centuries of Anti-Catholic History. And actually, it's even more than just, as we've, we've just talked about, it's more than debunking anti-Catholic history. It's just debunking history. Period, because it affects how nations operate in the long run, doesn't it?
1: Well, it does. I mean, there, there are, yeah, a lot of these falsehoods uh, are terribly misleading, and uh, and and yeah, they distort judgments a lot.
0: I, I never want your books to end because it's just. (laughs) I'm glad you wrote so many so far because it's just (laughs) you just keep it going.
1: Well, if I didn't, didn't write books, I wouldn't know what to do with my mornings.
0: Oh, good. Let's just keep, <laughs> let's keep that up. Let it always be a new, sunshiny day. But as far as the Crusades... The thing about the
1: Crusades is that... Let's, let's just take a, a couple of little points. The Battle of Tours. The Battle of Tours was a huge Muslim army got whipped by an army of Franks rode by Charles Martel. But this battle didn't happen a hundred miles south of Damascus. It didn't happen a hundred miles south of, of Jerusalem. It happened a hundred miles south of Paris. What was a great big Muslim army doing a hundred miles south of Paris? And yes, the answer was trying to colonize Europe. Mm-hmm. And that attempt had been going on for quite a while. They, at, the, at the time of, of the Battle of Tours, they occupied Spain and continued to occupy it for centuries. They occupied southern Italy and Sicily and most of the islands of the Mediterranean. They had taken North Africa, which had been a Christian area. They continued probing through Austria and Hungary, trying to come in that way. And all of this lasted until they were finally defeated at the Battle of Lepanto in in 1571. All of this effort to colonize the West is completely overlooked by people who want to say, oh, the terrible thing, those crusaders went to the Holy Land. And that was when they went for land and loot and converts. Nonsense. First of all, the church says you can't force Muslims to convert. Secondly, there was no land and loot out there. The uh, heads of these great European families went on the crusades at enormous personal cost. Some of them went bankrupt doing it. Most of them didn't expect to come back, and most of them didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was a, it was fundamentally a great big defensive operation to protect the, Holy, the sites in the Holy Land and, and, and pilgrims going to Jerusalem. No apologies necessary, Now, I will admit that these were pretty rough and ready guys. I mean, after all, they'd been raised since children to fight with swords. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they were also very religious guys. So it's, you know, I mean, the two are not exclusive.
0: Yeah, for about taking over land and acquiring wealth, it would have been a lot easier just to go into Spain. Yes, yeah. and you're
1: right. You're right. You know, the Pope called for a crusade to Spain about forty years before mm-hmm. the first crusade to the Holy Land, and it was close by, and there was a lot of wealthy land to be had, and nobody went. And the reason is uh, Jesus had not walked the streets of Seville. It was not the Holy Land, and and which shows you that the, the motivation for going going to uh, Jerusalem was religious.
0: Mm-hmm. and that's, that's,
1: why these guys, that's why these guys went.
0: And I want to motivate people to pick up a copy. Again, I'm going to keep saying it over and over, Dr. Starkstone. I hope it doesn't it get tedious for you, but your book, <laughs> Bearing False Witness, I think is the must-have book, not only for Catholics, not only for Christians, but for any good student of history unless you want to remain a child forever, as Cicero would say, you have to know your history. Another subject that I think it, you do such a, an incredible job on is the Spanish Inquisition. Now, there is a, that, now that has been taken by yeah. the story since made into a spitball, and all it does is get thrown at people and it sticks to a wall, and it, 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 all it is is a mess.
1: Yeah, by the way, I think we should point out, I'm not Catholic. You know, I was raised a Lutheran, and I heard every Sunday how how bad the Catholics were. So, I mean, uh, uh, I'm not writing this to defend the church. I'm writing it to defend history. Mm -hmm. But uh, the thing about the Inquisition, when I first heard that there were people saying the Inquisition had been a force for moderation and justice, I thought, oh, Lord, what kind of PC nonsense is this now? And then when I checked it out, I found that these were extremely distinguished historians, best backgrounds, but more than that, they had information that no one had ever seen before. They were given the complete trial transcripts, hundreds of pages often, written by clerks during the trials of 44,790 trials brought before the Spanish Inquisition. And it's shocking, first of all, they hardly ever sentence anyone to death, about 10 a year, uh, and many of those were then commuted. Remember the witchcraft craze which swept across Europe mm-hmm. and took a lot of lives. It didn't make a dent in Spain or Italy because the Inquisition wouldn't permit it. They had a couple of people hanged for burning witches, and that stopped that. Mm-hmm. And so it's an amazing thing going on. And, you know, was, did they burn some books? Yes. They burned a lot of Lutheran books, for one thing. But they didn't burn any scientific books. Isn't that amazing? Nobody seems to understand that. But you know what else they burned? Pornography. I'll be darned But the printers in early days discovered there was a big market for Bibles and religious books and also a big market for smut.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing, nothing new. has changed. And nothing new <laughs> under the sun, where as we would say, I suppose. But and you bring up the that whole the whole section on the suppressing of science and the, the whole chapter on Galileo and even the great foreword on this yeah. the the misunderstanding of how the Church approached the the voyages of Columbus. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's it's amazing that all of us grew up knowing that. Columbus proved the world was round. I mean, uh, it was in all our textbooks. There were even popular songs about it, let alone plays on Broadway. Uh, We all know that the the Catholic prelates uh, opposed his financing because they knew the world was flat and that he and his ships would fall off the edge. And then come to find out all of this is a lie, that everybody at the time, not only Columbus, but all the Catholic prelates, even the kings and queens, everybody who was educated knew the earth was round. That position to Columbus came from the fact that he was incredibly wrong about the circumference of the earth. Mm-hmm. He thought it was only 2,400 miles from Spain to China, and it was 14,000. And as a matter of fact, if the Western Hemisphere hadn't been there, and nobody knew it was there, if he hadn't gone out and bumped into the Western hemisphere, he might as well have fallen off the edge of the earth because he would never have been seen again. But in any event, the story about the uh, him having to prove the world is round and all that sort of stuff was unknown for hundreds of years after Columbus's voyage. It didn't it didn't come into existence until eighteen twenty eight when Washington Irving, who gave us the headless horseman, mm-hmm. wrote a biography of Columbus. That was mostly made up, but he presented it as truth in which he told the story about Columbus having to prove the world was around. And the historians of the time who must some of them must have known better. But they grabbed it and just embraced it and suddenly it was the new truth and it got in all our textbooks. But it's completely made up.
0: Well, even the, the experience with Galileo, uh, there is a, such a lack of understanding about what happened there. I mean, he was, help us with well, that. Well, actually he was,
1: is he, he, he was a jerk. He, he wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't for his science that he, that he got in trouble. It was really for just being a jerk. Uh, he he agreed to, to, to say something uh, that the Pope had asked him to put a certain disclaimer in his next book. He put the disclaimer in the mouth of the idiot and therefore made fun of it. Uh, the The Pope had been his supporter for many, many years, but you know Voltaire writes about old poor old Galileo's suffering in the prison and under torture and whatnot. and you can go on the internet and you can find all kinds of paintings and etchings and whatnot of Galileo in prison looking out through the the prison bars. I even got a picture of it in the book. Mm-hmm. He never spent a day in prison. he was never tortured. He spent some time in house arrest, but it was a nice big house with servants. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the story is and the other, the more important part of the story is that the great scientific breakthroughs of the 17th and 18th centuries, and they did occur, but they were normal science, the result of what had been building up in Catholic universities, and all universities in those days were Catholic Mm -hmm. until uh, very late. But of the people who were deeply involved, the major figures of the scientific revolution, 17th and 18th centuries, half of them were Catholics. Almost all of the Catholics were clergy. One of them was a cardinal. So how much was the church resisting science when, in fact, uh, uh, many of his leading figures were, in fact, uh, um, important Catholics. Mm, we're obviously, obviously, it's not a true story.
0: We're talking with the phenomenal Dr. Rodney Stark about his book, Bearing False Witness, Debunking Centuries of Anti-Catholic History. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, I love the layout of the book and the fact that you have in each chapter, in each section, the debunking of different things, there is a, a, a box, a set-aside of historians that... That did much to help in the formation of what you came to know. I mean, it, essentially, guys yeah. and women that we could trust.
1: Yeah. Well, the fact is, I wanted people to understand that this wasn't me talking; that I that I was really reporting what a bunch of really distinguished historians had had found out and had demonstrated, and that uh, you know, and, and if you want to really know know about it, you know. You can go read for yourself. And by the way, some of this stuff is marvelously readable and a lot of fun. Uh, and I hope you go read it.
0: That's what I love about your work, Dr. Stark. It is incredibly engaging. And I have to tell you, it, as a, just for me personally, one of my favorite sections was the one you took on those who lift up what can be termed uh, the, those new Christian gospels the the Ellen Pagels uh, and all those who the the suppressed gospels and yes. uh, the, somehow they trump what we've had for t- almost two thousand years.
1: Yeah, well, you know it's 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 amazing, but there's a reason they're called gnostic gospels rather than Christian gospels because they aren't Christian gospels.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: These are a bunch of pagans trying to Christianize Christian uh, paganize Christianity, uh, and, and the amazing thing is, uh, you know, these books. Were dismissed for good reason. They, uh, you know, they weren't written when they were claimed to have been written by the people who claimed to write them, and the people who make so much out of them are special pleaders of a particular kind. They're either into some kind of strange claims about Jesus being married, or this, that, or the other thing, but. Uh, People like Elaine Pagels and Karen King at Harvard and whatnot who make so much out of these lost and suppressed Gospels that were never suppressed. They never tell you what the central doctrines of this whole Gnostic group were. And they are these, that the world and everything in it is totally corrupt because it was created by an inferior and ugly renegade godling that the creation was a bizarre plaything of this satanic rebel who's depraved, has no redeeming virtues. He's an evil monster, and he's worshipped by the Jews who are thereby an accursed people. And conventional Christians have fallen into the same trap. Uh, Jesus is not the son of this evil creature, but is just a mystical teacher. Come on! I mean, those aren't Christian Gospels. That's the... That's a bizarre and strange uh, set of beliefs. But the people who always run out and say, ah, we've got a new doctrine, we found this new suppressed gospel and it shows X, Y, and Z or the Judas was really the hero of the whole thing or whatever, they never tell you what what the central doctrines are. Okay, there's a book by Pagels called The Secret Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. Well, this gospel consists of 114 brief sayings. They take only four or five pages to reproduce them, but she didn't bother to put them in the book. Hmm. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it drives... And yeah, they're going to keep on finding, you know... Remember they found this fragment recently in 2012, and... uh, it referred in one sentence. It was all it was on this thing. Referred to Jesus' wife, and bingo, out it comes. Say Jesus was married. Jesus, we, well, it turns out it was a, it was a modern forgery. But uh, but many of these books aren't aren't modern forgeries. It's just that they were uh, they were nonsense when they were made up. Mm-hmm. They 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 were not ever Christian gospels, and they were discarded for good reason.
0: Well, and here's the problem with this, Dr. Stark. As you said, I mean, the the attempt back then was to take Christian ideals, Christian themes, whatever whatever that is, and to try to paganize them, essentially. Yes, And yes. And it's still being done today because what happens is when you have, this isn't an esoteric scholarly discussion, what ends up right. happening is guys like Dan Brown, Uses right. that as foundational elements for this ridiculous Da Vinci Code, which no one sees as a thing of literature. No, the, no, it's a reinforcement exactly of the anti-Catholic uh, stereotype. Sure,
1: sure. I mean, the the Pope the Pope knows all the truths and he's sitting on them. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, Dan Brown's book is fiction. And it's presented as fiction, and 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 for people to say, yeah, but it's really secretly the truth is is not so. Uh, now, I, I must say he writes much better than do all these scholars who are claiming to be into the Gnostic gospels. But uh, uh, but there's no reason to pay any attention to it. I mean, my God, I can, there are whole kinds of books uh, uh, about. Uh, of, Fighting with Klingons and whatnot <laughs> we don't take them seriously.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, the section that I think delighted and surprised me the most was actually that whole section on how you helped us to see Constantine. As, yeah. I'd like to believe that he truly did have that conversion. And, maybe, and yeah, is oh, I, it possible I he saw he, that I, big red I cross? I think he
1: did have the conversion. Yeah. And, uh, and so do the good scholars of the moment. Uh, the notion that it was fraudulent, uh, you know, that goes back to Voltaire and those guys again. But what's interesting is, no, despite their, the fact that subsequent to Constantine, almost all uh, uh, emperors were, were fairly devout Christians, as a matter of fact, they weren't tyrants in the sense that they continued to appoint pagans to, to high office, uh, which means they were not—they were not persecuting them. And what happened uh, was that uh, uh, wasn't—you know—quick bang, persecute tolerant pagans out of existence. It just slowly, slowly, slowly drifted away, and not entirely. After all, uh, it's never clear to me that Scandinavia ever really was completely uh, Christianized. Uh, I mean, we find things, uh, references much, much later saying, Helgi believes in Jesus, but from maritime things he refers to Thor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, well, mm-hmm. uh, somehow uh, this isn't entirely what we were led to believe about conversion.
0: That stems from the writings of a historian, Edward Gibbons, who for many, it, that, it, that was an essential can we say a historical gospel, as it were? Not the good news no, well, of Jesus I mean, Christ, but... You
1: know, a given was trying to explain that Christianity caused the fall of Rome, which, of course, is total nonsense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I mean, that's not why Rome fell.
0: That's right. And that's uh, just some of the, the clarity that you bring to us in bearing false witness, debunking centuries of anti-Catholic history. I think it's truly important, especially in modern times, for us to appreciate... This this myth of anti-Semitism, and I think the most egregious, and maybe maybe I'm overstating it, but just the slanderous actions that were done recently with labeling Pope Pius the Twelfth as Hitler's Pope—that's that, just wrong. That is so. Well, sick. it's not
1: only that, but for anybody to have paid any attention to it is bizarre. I mean. All through the war, the New York Times has a whole series of headlines thanking the Pope for fighting Hitler and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And after the war, Chaim Wiseman, who was the first president of Israel, Goldemeyer, another president of Israel, all these people came forward and praised and thanked Pope for his not only his opposition to Hitler, but for his enormously successful efforts to save. Italian Jews from the Holocaust. There was no question about it. I mean, the, you know, why would all these prominent Jews come and thank the Pope if it weren't true? And then some left-wing nut with Moscow ties, a German named Rolf Hochhuth, comes along and probably and and you know does a play in 1963 in which he says, "Well, you know, uh, the Pope was really Hitler's deputy." And all of the New York intellectuals piled on and said, oh, and they still do. It's bizarre, uh, because you don't have to find any Catholic defenders of the Pope at all. You can ignore every single Catholic defender of Pope, um, Pope Pius XII. Just trust the Jews. And overwhelmingly, the opposition to this these claims uh, about the Pope came from and still come from Jewish scholars. That's good enough for me.
0: Hmm. I wish we had more time, Dr. Stark. Do you have any final thoughts?
1: No, I guess it's just, you know, we got to keep on keeping on and hope that we can improve things a little bit at a time.
0: I hope that you continue every morning to keep writing and that there are many, many, <laughs> many, 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 many more mornings.
1: Well, that's the fun part, and it's been great being with you.
0: All right. Thank you, Dr. Stark. Have a great day. With Dr. Rodney Stark, we've gone inside the pages of Bearing False Witness, Debunking Centuries of Anti-Catholic History. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to templetonpress.org, the website for its publisher, Templeton Press. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.